Tomorrow, I'll go to Shaolin, and I'll wreck their temple! Good afternoon, fellow Kung Fu movie fans and fellow martial arts fans. This is Gary Williams of FilmFanDojo.com, and I have the pleasure today of speaking with a legend in the martial arts world, Master Willie the Bam Johnson. Good afternoon, Master Johnson. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm blessed, sir. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for taking the time out today to speak to us. And you got many fans out there, so we're going to get right into... Uh, some of these questions. So Master Johnson, as a legend in the martial arts world, you know, many people know who you are, but we might have some some new viewers or new people to the genre who may not be familiar with your story. Can you just give us, uh, you know, tell us your story? How how did everything come about and you becoming the master that you are? Uh, well, I mean, for me, it started at a six year old as a six year old kid, you know, um, going to see Bruce Lee's Chinese Connection. You know, um, coming up back then, martial arts really wasn't as popular as they are today. So, a lot of people didn't understand the benefits of martial arts. I mean, it was you know that that's when the kung fu movies was trying to find a home. So, they were all housed in these inner city movie theaters and. Um, it's funny because that one time, this is out this one time in my life, my mom and my dad were so protected that they would never let me go out by myself. Anywhere I went, I went with my mom and my dad to the movies, whatever it may be. And they knew nothing about martial arts. But you remember seeing those, those, those commercials, man. You would see them five fingers of death commercials, Chinese connection commercials. And when you were sitting at home watching TV, you just knew you wanted to see that, man. But you know, Black Belt Jones and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So, you know, but your parents really didn't understand it. So you was like a kid just lost. And this one time, man, uh, my mom told my next door neighbor, yeah, he can go to the movie theaters with you. It's okay. And as a kid, you know, growing up in the inner city back that time, a lot of people don't understand. Many kids were dealing with a lot of things. I mean, I mean, people don't heard about it being molested you know, being, you know, just some devastating things that was happening to children, especially young African-American children that they just didn't know. Because even talking about it, or when you think about canceling, go to see a therapist, go see a, a psychiatrist, you were considered crazy if you even thought about doing something during those times. So as a young kid, you had to grow up early. So when those things happened to me, I understood that I had to shield it away from telling my mom or telling my dad, because at the same time, I'm seeing my mom and dad already struggling with their own problems of trying to like make ends meet. So when these family members were doing these things to me at, at, at five years old, I had to find a way to shield myself and deal with that pain without telling other people. And um, when I went to see Chinese Connection, man, when I sat there and you remember back then, 
man, it was like people like gathered all the way down the street, three or four blocks. There had to be like two lines. You know what I'm saying? And you go in a movie theater, it would be people standing up on the balcony, sitting down on the floor. I mean, it had to, I mean, we talk, it, you, it wasn't like one movie you leave. You could say and watch the movie until the movie closed. So, you know, it was just like people, just the excitement, the feel of just like being in a concert, man. And I remember sitting there watching Bruce Lee on that screen and I ain't see Bruce Lee. I seen me. I seen Willie the Bam Johnson becoming a hero and taking a stand for kids that was going through the same things that he was going through and being able to be a, ho- a hero and stand up for other people with this art of martial arts that i never seen before. And when I left that movie theater, I was never the same. Bruce Lee changed my life. He changed. Remember, he was fighting against everything that we see. We People fighting for the day. Bruce Lee was doing that in the movie at the time. So I left that movies, man. And you know how it was back then. You wouldn't got a broomstick. You cut that broomstick up. You wouldn't have got a dog chain. You got a little screw and you screw that door on, put that chain, got that electrical tape, and you was Bruce Lee. Boy, what the, ah! You know, it was <laughs> it was on, baby. So it, it was like, man, you was flipping, you was kicking. Every day, I just kept on teaching myself how to do martial arts. I had this dream that one day martial arts was going to get me out the inner city. Martial arts was going to give me a chance to give my mom a house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you had no dojos. You had nobody you can go to. I mean, you had guys that was coming home from the military. And they was they was teaching you some type of, you know, crazy combative martial arts. And remember, it wasn't about cards and weapons. You had to fight back then, man. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they was beat you up. You, you know, <laughs> I was doing whatever, man. I, I mean, I, my whole life, every day was spent in the movies, seeing kung fu movies, black exploitation movies at the library stealing kung fu books, at the store stealing Black Belt magazine, Karate <laughs> Illustrated, Inside Kung Fu, official karate, official, you know, whatever it was, man, I was stealing it. And the big, big, thick Masoyama books that had the color pictures of him breaking the, the, the you know, the, the, the fruit and the, and the rocks, man. And I, I knew, I don't know, man, it's just this gift. I knew that, man, if you go to the library, and ask about Kung Fu movies, they had these books that they would tell you about the big Kung Fu movies, but at the end of the movie on poster, they would give you the telephone number and the address of the movie theater. So I was calling Hong Kong and China, man, telling people I wanted to be in the movies. My mom, bruh, can you imagine your mother getting a phone bill for all this money? She was like, man, man, what are you doing? You're going, you're going to kick, you're going to get us put out the house. I can't afford this. But I just kept on doing it, man. I just kept on pushing. I kept on striving. I, I mean, I always had this creative ingenuity of like, maybe if I write to someone, maybe I can get some people to help me. And, you know, I would wander Baltimore, finding people to train with, finding this person to work out with, you know, dealing with the fights on the street, gotten to prove that you, you know, you, you like legit. It didn't matter what you did, but if you did enough to beat somebody up, you got enough reputation where they started calling you Lil Black Bruce Lee. Mm. So that's what they started calling me, Lil Black Bruce Lee. I mean, I was walking the street with the, the white frog button, <laughs> uniform. And, and remember those, those those black shoes that had the um 
the brown soles yeah. that you thought that you thought you could keep your balance or you throw a kick above the head, boom, you'd be on your butt, <laughs> man. But hey, bro, I mean, I was in heaven, man. And you know, I, I started writing letters. I started getting sponsors from 7-Eleven and McDonald's before I was even 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And I used to, and I remember my exact words. I want to be a world champion. If you would just give me enough money to get on a bus, I would be a world champion. Please help me. And they sponsored me. And I would get on a bus. My first tournament was the All-American Championships SME chose in at Madison Square Garden in New York City. Now, imagine this. I'm like 16 years old. Nobody in my neighborhood ever got on a bus to travel somewhere, but I was always open to figure out a way of how to get somewhere. I got enough. I got my, air, I mean, my, my bus ticket. I knew from the Karate Illustrated where the tournament was at. Um, I had enough money to catch a cab and registration fee. And I was making my own uniforms by the sewing machine back then. So I understood that street gymnastics and wushu was becoming big at that time. Mm-hmm. Wushu complimented my street gymnastics. So I made up my form. I went to Madison Square Garden. Was so scared because back then in New York, man, that's when New York wasn't no place. You think of the Warriors, right? So mm-hmm. you, you, you think about walking down New York, you might not get home alive. So. I'm this little kid all by myself, get off the bus, get in a cab, not realizing that Madison Square Garden, like three blocks down from Port Authority. But so I catch the cab, not realizing it's like a couple of blocks down the street. But I get out the cab, go to the tournament. Ron Van Cleef was there. The greatest masters of all times was at this tournament. My first tournament, brother, I won first place. Right. That was the start of my career. And from that point on, I would get on a bus for four days to go to a tournament in in Chicago, Grand Rapids, Michigan, Mm -hmm. competing with Billy Blank, Cynthia Rothrock, all these people. And still to this day, they call me the bus boy. They say, that's the kid that would catch the bus. (laughs) He would get off the bus and go and compete. And because I didn't have money for a hotel, I would get back on a bus and come home. So I would go to these big tournaments. I'm talking Keith Nabaashi, Keith Cook, you name it, all those great people, man. And I would get eighth place. Back then, eighth place was like first place. Mm-hmm. And I kept showing up and kept showing up until I was able to get the attention of people like Master Brown and Tayari Cassell. Peter Morales and all those people came together and mentored me and guided me. And that's what gave me a chance to go to China, come home from mainland China. I had this go. Look, I said, if I go to China, I learn a form that complements my acrobats. I can come home, beat the world champion and become famous. I go to China, come home. I I love him today. He's my brother, Charlie Lee. He was the man back then. I beat Charlie Lee, and now my career is going to a whole new level. I was the youngest kid out there competing on the circuit, and the only kid that was coming from the inner inner city that was using hip-hop music and blending together our streets on the stage. 
And that I think that's what my whole facade is like, man, man, Bambi bringing the whole urban swagger to everything that he do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think my whole life is. I just took what I had, man, and I made the best of it. And I think that's what made me who I am. I just did what we do in the street. You take it, you flip it, and you do what you got to do. And that, that's good enough for you to learn how to express yourself and earn respect. Does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And, and you know, you, you bring me to this next point. Um, your experience, you know, I've heard and, and, and seeing it myself being from Detroit, a similar, a lot of they, people might not have gotten the, the recognition and went as far as you. But it's something that I want to ask you. Do you think that the mainstream martial arts media or even mainstream Hollywood media really recognizes the contributions of the urban martial artists? Because a lot of people have similar stories about going to see Bruce Lee in the theater or going to see Five Fingers of Death, coming home. And even even if they become like in their local communities, teachers and they stuck with it, like when we see when we see TV shows we don't see that experience. We see a different type of experience from the martial arts TV shows. We don't have the urban experience that gave rise to masters such as yourself or other masters, or even, um, you know, hip hop acts like the Wu-Tang Clan. We don't see shows like that. Do you think that Hollywood or mainstream media really recognizes the urban martial artist contribution to the spreading of martial arts in America? No, I don't. But I think I'm the one person that I think one of the problems and I'm not trying to be funny. I think so many African-American martial artists try too much to emulate another culture. They Mm -hmm. try to be Chinese. They try to be Japanese. They try to be something else. Rather than understanding without the inner city, there would be no Bruce Lee. Let's remember that. Bruce Lee only had one place to go to. Without the inner city, there would be no Shaw Brothers. Without the inner city, you wouldn't even know martial arts like you know it, don't know it today. There was nowhere else that was accepting martial arts and giving it a home and was and was was and made it made it a success. I mean, Bruce Lee showed you that when he put Jim Kelly in into the dragon. Mm-hmm. He gave you the story of the struggle, Mm -hmm. the same struggle today. Let's go back. Jim Kelly, a black martial artist in a black martial arts school going, us. Yes. You feel me? I mean, he was all, he was all that. And then what he do? He get ready to go off to a world championship and he get pulled over by a racial police cop. Not Mm -hmm. saying all cops were racial, but here's a, 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 a policeman that was, trying to intimidate him. He had to fight out the hood to go somewhere to try to escape. Mm-hmm. So that story, I think if we were, if, if many of our martial arts brothers and sisters would have spent a little bit more time with understanding our culture mm-hmm. and what our culture contribute contribute to the martial arts. Remember the Taekwondo schools, the Japanese schools, all those schools, they found homes in the inner city. They didn't go to the suburbs to open up a dojo. Mm-hmm. They went to them inner cities, and let's be real, I'm not putting anybody down, but you know with study history, when they went there and they started getting those brothers and sisters, Hispanic, of all different race, they brought them in, and they started spawning with them, like, whoa, oh my God. They was beating people up because of their natural abilities to fight. 
You can't go to the hood and teach nobody how to fight. We already know how to fight. What you had to do was fine tune out our fighting and add the, the principles and the discipline to allow us to evolve it beyond fighting. And that's you. I mean, come on. Bruce Lee told you that he was inspired by Muhammad Ali. Let's ask a question. Why did everybody love Bruce Lee? When Bruce Lee started doing the rope of dope and the shuffle, you already knew what that was. That was you. That was Muhammad Ali. Mm -hmm. But we spent so much time. We were so ashamed of who we were. We were so, so ashamed of what we represent. We forget that if it wasn't for the movies in the 70s, I mean, black exploitation saved Hollywood. Mm -hmm. You feel me? Come mm -hmm. on, man. Yeah, they don't want me to break down history on them. And then, like once again, like every generation has been forgotten, at the 70s, the greatest moment of, of, of creative expression in the inner city. You could keep your doors open. You had the music of hip-hop playing on the street. You, you had everybody with the block parties. People was flipping. We was riding skateboards back then. We were doing wheelies with the bikes back mm -hmm. then. We were flipping off the roofs back then. This ain't nothing new. We was doing that. That's what we did as kids. But you couldn't allow a group of people that came from such a struggle to have so much power mm -hmm. and be so creatively dangerous. So guess what happened? Crack came. Can I keep on talking or what, bro? Keep it real, man. Crack came. By design, that whole drug destroyed people who were so powerful. How in the hell could that drug and gun show up in a community like that when we don't own no boats, no ships, and no planes? By design, come on, you can look at the documentary called Crack. It tells you what happened. These people who could never afford a drug that only Richard Pryor was assigned to say, look at what free base do to you. Come on, man. If you don't know your history, you can't even claim to teach martial arts. So when you see what that did with Richard Pryor, they made that drug so cheap and inexpensive, it destroyed the best of the people in the community. So a community that was on the verge of coming up and expressing itself, it was now self-destructing in the inside. And guess what happened? A group of kids said, hold up, y'all going to listen to my struggle. You don't want to give me a therapist. You don't want to give me a counselor. I'm a rap about it. It's like a jungle sometimes. It make me wonder why they keep him going under. Like, bah, 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 bah. A child is born with no state of mind. He was blind to the ways of mankind. Am I telling the truth or what, brother? Rich, yeah, man. I mean, it, it's the same. The funny thing is, it's it was the same on the East Coast. It was the same in Detroit, Chicago. Just keep going on and on. And it, it and and you know. One of the things that that you mentioned is we had these famous, well, they're famous now, but we had these black martial arts teachers. You know, when I think of my own martial arts history, all my teachers have been, with the exception of maybe one or two African-American. Yes, mine too. And that is something, you know, that I think needs to be highlighted too. And you you do a good job of it and some other people, but that... There is a martial culture in the urban environments. And, you know, 
you know, you were speaking of tournaments and tournaments were one of the ways that some of these uh, African-American martial artists were able to shine. Can you kind of give us because you were in there in that in, I think, one of the golden ages of tournaments. A lot of new viewers won't know, you know, they won't really know about that. Can you can you give us um, just like an overview of how the tournaments were? You know, you had Grandmaster Ron Van Cleef. You had a lot of people. Uh, competing can you just like tell us a little bit about that tournament scene in that age well well I think that that really ties into the hip-hop because for me because I was the youngest one amongst those greats I mean I was blessed to have two of the greatest kung fu artists if it wasn't for these two black kung fu men y'all wouldn't know pure kung fu like you learn in the day that was Dennis Brown and Tyre Arkansas Tyari Kassar was the only one that went to Madison. Forget UFC. Tyari Kassar was at Madison Square Garden that already sold out 20 million people in the 70s at Madison Square Garden fighting Benny the Jet Arquides, jumping up, doing scissors takedowns, fighting from the ground before you even knew there was ground fighting. He was Kung Fu, baby. You know what I'm saying? So, so when everybody else was making up Kung Fu, because, come on, think about it. Back then, th this is the beautiful thing about coming up amongst the that that richness of, of, of kung fu artists back then because everybody kung fu was the most popular but it was the hard to learn mm -hmm. because the chinese still kept it to themselves um so what brothers did they came home and because they were taught incomplete systems they just found their own expression of the system based upon the environment mm -hmm. so it became a little bit of thomas the puppet don't forget thomas the puppet mm -hmm. the first black man to ever be in the black ball hall of fame because mm -hmm. he was beating people up. You know what I mean? Fred Hamilton, the first man to ever be on Apollo with, with little Kevin Thompson, man. Mm -hmm. Don't get me started, brother. Get started. You know my <laughs> history, man. So, tell you I can sell. The greatest one out there fighting people. T Dennis Brown, the first black martial artist to ever be kung fu artist to be given the legacy of a Chinese system. He is the grandmaster of the Tian Shin Pai system to this day. But nobody don't want to give him the credit because he's a black martial artist. So I was guided by two of the greatest Kung Fu artists while I was competing. They were taking me out, you know, taking me to tournaments, fine tuning me. But here's the thing that everybody don't understand. Back then, Kung Fu people couldn't fight because those people were making up Kung Fu. So, you know, when you would watch somebody doing all this and all this made up stuff in the Kung Fu shoes and that, that wasn't real Kung Fu. That was somebody trying to make up Kung Fu. So it made Kung Fu get a bad rap. Mm -hmm. So I could fight. So it's like, look, I'm going to fight. I started doing forms of weapons because I knew I could fight. And I wanted to be show that even though I'm a black man, I can be an artist. That's why mm -hmm. I started doing forms and weapons. Okay. But we all knew how to fight. So my instructors, Master Brown, and anybody that's listened to this, ask anybody, there is nobody in the history of American martial arts that ran a Kung Fu school and would go to any tournament all over the world and karate people would say, Shaolin, and the whole auditorium would go, Wushu. That was Dennis Brown's Shaolin Wushu Academy. It was the most powerful force in Kung Fu. If it wasn't for what him and Tayari Kassel did, there would be no copperware and all this stuff that people understand. They brought the history of all this stuff to the forefront. 
but by way of the tournament, the only place that they can go to and not be cheated, like the Black Karate Federation, you know what I'm saying? They went out and they did what they have to do, and they passed that torch on to me. So I was blessed. They took me to China. They guided me to all the tournaments and said, no, this is your responsibility. I think the difference for me, what goes back to the hip hop, even though I was competing, nobody understood that when they let me out the car and I went back in the hood, my best friends was now real G's making millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. So when I got out that car and I had to pass through that project building, it was thousands of fiends on the corner and, and brothers standing up there with guns and saying, yo, bam, what's going on, baby? What's up? So I thought that this fame of martial arts would give me enough money to really live a dream. Mm -hmm. But during that era, and this is the problem with that era, and, every, and I talked about it, I'm going to be real. We were so busy faking like we were, we were a success and faking like we really had it that we relied more on the fame and not on the real money. Mm -hmm. See, but when I was, I was a young man now dealing with responsibilities of a kid at a young age, a mother who's sick, I'm saying, okay, I'm running a school, I'm doing all this with you, but I can't pay my bills. And you telling a young black African-American kid when he got to walk through seeing his friends making millions of dollars, don't worry about it, it's going to be okay, just ride with me. Then I got to look at the reality and my friends on the street like, yo, forget that. We going to get paid. So I had to make a choice as a young black man what I had to do to take care of my mom and my kids and who was going to be a real man to me. So mm -hmm. where I'm going with this, I think the thing that I bring is that there's a difference between being a master and being a man. Mm -hmm. We got too many people that think mastership means being a man. The problem with the old school is that it was always like, listen to me, shut up and don't say. No, 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 no. Let's talk and collaborate because even a guy on the street know that, look, I might be getting money, I might be whatever, but brother, if I don't show you no respect, then you got to do what you need to do. Mm -hmm. Martial arts has a strange misconception where they be playing on a younger generation and not giving us all a chance to eat together. My generation do that whole hip hop element of, of expressing ourselves, we saying, look, I'm going to be polite. I'm going to respect you. I'm going to listen to you. But don't play me. Don't treat me like I'm less than a man. I got a family to take care of. And the true expression of martial arts is that it's humility at the highest level, not egotism. Mm -hmm. And I think if we can fix that, we can be can continue to work on and we as African-American martial artists need that more than anything because we still have those great masters that you're talking about. How many of them can still make a living off of their arts? Mm -hmm. I'm not bragging, but since I started doing martial arts, I've been making a living off my martial arts. I don't raise my family off my martial arts. I can live the great, uh, the most peaceful life ever because I am a martial artist and I understand the difference between commercializing. I'm not, I'm not, I don't run a, I don't run, I'm not going to say, I understand the difference in the balance of having a successful business and still maintaining the integrity of my art. 
And I'm able to do that. Many people can't do that. And I don't teach a Chinese art. And I'm not going to say I'm a, when people say, man, you a Kung Fu man. No, my expression of martial arts come from my community, Baltimore City. And by way of all these other elements, it allowed me to become what I represent. I call it an urban combative flow. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to win, to adjust, and live a most prosperous life that I can from the inside out. And that that's keeping it real. Does and that answer your question? Yes, it does. Now, I want you, you bring me to another point. How important, and, and I can feel your passion, how I want you to tell the audience, because I, I, I think I can gauge the answer, but I want you to tell the audience. How important are those lessons that you just mentioned? How important is that imparting that to the next generation of young martial artists? That's number one. You see, we get caught up in, in the me, me, me. We get caught up into some mastership. We get caught up into super supreme grandmaster. We get, get, we get caught up. And I love Shaw Brothers. I love all of that. But we come up with a generation that don't even understand what Shaw Brothers is. So we got too many older martial artists that want fame and they still trying to live out their prime that they forgetting that if you help the next generation, you can live beyond your life expansion. Mm -hmm. You still trying to be the star. Give somebody else a chance to shine. Give the next generation a chance to tell the story that you wanted to tell. Think about it. If you don't adapt to what, if you don't adapt, what, if you have something that you call so powerful and so bad and so deadly, if you can't inspire another generation, guess what? It only that powerful in your head. See, the message got to get to the people. When the Bible was written one way, you had to readjust it to another way so the people can get it. Think about it. If you wake up and realize that more philosophy of martial arts is being taught in Ninjago and Ninja Turtles and, 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 and Shazam and Marvel comics and, and, and Marvel movies, than what we did in Shaw Brothers. But because you are, so, you are so stuck in your own ways, you don't realize that my little seven-year-old son is running back here right now, know more about the philosophies of, philosophies of martial arts through the comic books and through social media than what we have ever known. We got the physical. We didn't get the philosophy like they getting right now. Look at the video games. Mm -hmm. Stop for a minute. Damon John said one thing, and this is to everybody. He said, next time you start judging a little kid about what they're doing, stop for a minute and say, show me what you're doing. So I got my daughter here. Come here, Naila and Zarian. They, they, they acting all bashful. <laughs> <laughs> they, that's my little son, Zarian. Hi. This is my daughter Hi. in Hollywood, killing it. Her name is Naila. But they make me a better person. Mm -hmm. If I can't pass what I do on to them and I can't still have the love and the respect of them, then whatever I'm doing, I don't care how many titles or what I have achieved, it don't mean anything. So everything that I do is it is for the next generation. Right. That's it. And that's and I, I know we have spoke off camera couple of weeks ago about it but i wanted the audience to really see your passion because i think 
you know, as especially as African-American males, we need to see that. And family is very important to you having uh, seen your story, seeing the DVD of your story, having, you know, gone to your website uh, quite a bit over the years and seeing it evolve. But family is so important. And your family is involved in all the aspects of your martial arts. And I think that's so cool. Um, and I know it's important. You can, you know, can I say one, can mm -hmm. I say one thing? I, I think one of the things for me that happened because of the generation I came up and I was trying so hard to be famous. I wanted to be, I wanted to be the next black action star. I wanted to be mm -hmm. in films. I wanted to do all this stuff. I got a chance to be on WMAC masters. See, see, because of my journey, I ended up making some choices that, that put me in situations that I don't think anybody ever want to go in. Mm -hmm. And I was a gifted martial artist. I won everything. I, I was in all the magazines and books and everything. But I made some choices because of this is the other side when we don't understand the, 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 the consequences of our egos and the consequences of our selfishness. When many people didn't understand when you chose not to give me my pay and said, you just sit there and you, you figure it out on your own or you decide to fire me and kick me out to your dojo, mm. you didn't realize that you kicked me to the street. So when you kicked me to the street because your ego would not let you be a man, to have a man-to-man -man conversation to pass on that lineage or that opportunity to me, my boys on the street gave me that opportunity. So guess what? If you keep playing with this, there's some person out there that's doing some negativity that's going to take that kid and going to give that kid an opportunity to make some money. It ain't even got this got to be drugs. It could be in corporate America or whatever. But when you create unnecessary pain for that younger generation, they already got pain that they got to deal with anyway. Why in the hell would you give them unnecessary pain? So when your ego does not permit you to be selfless and allow that kid an opportunity, even if you don't understand, don't kick them out there and make their life harder. Be there, even if they don't listen. Love them at a distance. Help them at a distance. Keep your eye on them. Brother, and I'm sorry, man, I get emotional. Can you imagine how many times when I was homeless, I wish somebody would have came looking for me? Mm. Can you imagine when I got locked up and was locked in a jail for 24 hours and let off for one hour that I wish some, some so-called martial artist would have been a man to me? No, they wasn't. It took a man in jail by the name of Brother D that said, look, I'm going to show you how to be a man. Forget that fake master stuff. You're going to learn how to talk. You're going to learn how to stand right. You're going to learn how to sit like a man. And most importantly, you're going to go get your kid and you're going to show women respect. And you're going to clean up that community that you destroyed. That don't come from the martial arts. That comes from a real man that said it's time to be a man, not a boy. That's why I represent what I, and, and guess what? I will give my life for this mission that I'm on. I don't care if you hate me. I don't care if you don't like me. You will never take my spirit of being a man because guess what? I went back to get my kids. I went back to rebuild that community. And everything I represent today is a manifestation of what the hood did for me when it was a good place. Mm -hmm. What my parents did for me, 
This sir and this respect don't come from martial arts. That comes from being raised by a good black father. That comes from having a good mom. I don't care if she was on welfare, but the one thing they did tell me, you show people respect and you treat people like you want to be treated. So that's what I bring to the martial arts. I bring the element of our community that's so lost back to the dojo because some at one point in time, even this day, we started thinking it was about Carter titles, weapons, and not about character. I'm about the character that the streets used to give us. Think about this. At one time, even the hustler said, shorty, don't do what I do, do what I say. Don't you be on these corners. Take this money, go to school, and live your dreams. What people don't realize, I know that every guy that lost his life in the, in the city of Baltimore, and even some of them that's still alive, they tell me, and, and you got to understand this, when a brother that used to sell drugs with me and used to do dirt with me say, man, thank you for being our hero. You did for us. Sorry, man. Huh? You did for us that what we didn't have the courage to do for ourselves. So when I seen you on TV as at, on Saturday morning being bam, the bam that was in this hood, you gave us hope. Man. That right there is more important to me than any title in the world because that same kid that was inspired by Bruce Lee, he was able to return the favor of Bruce Lee to the generation, like he said, to inspire other people. And even when you say that, to inspire you and many other people to just be what God wants you to be, man. Forget the Just be what God wants you to be. And that, that's the greatest thing that you can ever do while you're on this planet. That's 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 keeping it real. And I and, I, you know, I think we need to hear this because we don't hear it often. And this is why I'm, I'm glad I got the opportunity to talk and interview because I knew your passion. But we don't we really don't get to hear this often. And we we're talking about representation, which is so important. And people say that now for various things. And it's very important for some of the reasons you just said. And. you represented so well on WMAC Masters. When I put out um, on my Instagram about questions that the audience could ask and I could ask you, everything was about WMAC Masters. <laughs> I mean, it was like, what, what's going on? The main one, it was it's really the recurring theme. So I'm going to ask it, but I'm going to ask it at the end. But it's the recurring one. Um, it's one of the first questions I asked you, but it's a recurring one, but I'm going to save it to the end of this little section here. How how did WMAC Masters come about for you? Well, that's that's once again. Now, that goes back to the tournament thing. When I would, when I was competing, there were no egos. You know, even my wife, everybody call her Mrs. Bam. Well, people don't realize that my wife is a bad master in herself. She could go and run her own Kimber Johnson martial arts school and be her own. She, we met in competition. We mm. stood do cards against each other. Okay. She didn't beat me. I didn't beat her. So it ain't like, I mean, and, and, and I like to say this to her. She ain't Miss Bam. She master Kimber. She her own master. She can fight. These, she can do weapons. I'm just honored that she chose me, you know? So during that time when I was competing, I am grateful for Billy Blanks. 
I am grateful for Cynthia Rothrock. I am grateful for Kevin Thompson, and I can go on and on. Keith Cook, you know, Stuart Kwan. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Hosung Pop, Hakeem, all these guys. See, I think the problem with competition right now, everybody want to be your friend. Mm -hmm. See, back then, when we went up against each other, it was like, Richie, you better give it a thousand, boy, because I'm at 2,000. What's up? And Richie like, all right, man. When Richie went on that stage, I was yelling for Richie because I needed Richie to go up to the sky. And when I went up on the stage, Richie like hit me in the chest like, you ready? Can you beat that? And I go up on the stage and I'm like, oh. And when it was all over, we, we wanted to win, but we wasn't angry or mad that the other person won. Mm -hmm. It was like, all right, you got me tonight. Boy, I'm going to get you tomorrow. So... It was like when opportunities back then came, it's like when I got my first Karate Magazine cover shot, I called Keith the Cook and asked him to be on there with me. He couldn't do it because he was doing a movie. So I got Richie Brandon on there. What we did, we helped each other. Mm -hmm. We wanted to best each other. Our egos didn't stand in the way of our martial arts friendship. We would spar on the sidelines to make each other better so when we go out there and compete, we can give a great show. Mm -hmm. What people don't understand back then, we were doing shows for the movies. We wasn't athletes trying to be athletes. We were entertainers using athletic expression as our form of entertainment. So when, when I was out there doing this and Richie's after the cover shot with Richie, he said, bam, guess what? At Battle of Atlanta, man, they doing some movie audition. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, you got to be there. Now, look at what I just said again. Let me run that back. <laughs> My number one competitor said, bro, you got to be at this audition. I'm like, all right, I'm there. And he said, I'm going to keep calling you and make sure you're there. After winning the Battle of Atlanta, I go in this room. It wasn't just 10 people wanting to show. It was 50 of the greatest martial artists of that era. Brother, can you imagine sitting in that room with the greatest competitors on the planet? And they say, hey, we're going to do a TV show. Now I'm a kid from the ghetto. Come on, man. This ain't happening. They ain't getting on no TV. So I'm there. I'm going to play the part. He like, well, what we going to do? All y'all guys going to sign these contracts. So what we want to do, we want to put all of y'all in the movie, on in this TV show. And I'm listening. I'm hearing. And they said, but what we want to know, anybody got ideas on what your characters want to be, let me know. Now, guess what, brother? That six-year-old kid always knew what he wanted. Mm -hmm. That six-year-old kid used to draw the pictures of who he wanted to be and put it on his wall. That six-year-old kid used to do everything, his uniform. So when they said, Mr. Johnson, who do you want to be? I said, the bam. Excuse me? The bam. <laughs> Nobody else had their own name. Are you feeling me? I, I, I understood Brandy. I didn't take advantage of it, but I understood. I got a chance to be me. Then they said, okay, so what would you like your uniform to be? Man, I love some Shaw brothers. When the, when the Shaolin monks had the ponytail and wrap mm -hmm. that joint around and put it in the mouth and go, whoa. <laughs> I just, I always wanted to be the black monk, man. So when they said, look, who you, what's your character want to be? I said, you got to have a long ponytail and I want my shirt off and I'm going to do the mm -hmm. backflip. They said, okay. So, Here's what I would say to anybody. Since I set that goal at six, six years old, 
I was prepared for the opportunity. I wouldn't have never got that opportunity if I wasn't prepared. So when they asked me, I gave them original material outside of everybody else. Mm. So I got my part because of that. And that's what got me on the show, man. But the other thing, too, I stayed humble. You know, I, I, put out, I put out what I needed to put out. I told you what I wanted to be, and I got that. The win for me is that I got a chance to play me on TV. Mm. Now, who gets a chance to do that? You know <laughs> what I'm saying? If I die right now today, I can say, man, I was me. Who was mm-hmm. you? I was me. That was, I mean, I didn't understand it back then because it was like just, the, you know, you just said that's what you wanted to be. But as I get older and I hear the fans coming back, I'm like, man, it really works. It really works, you know? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in, in that moment in my life, it was the best because you had the greatest martial artists all humbly working together. We were ninjas for each other. Mm-hmm. Those weren't no extras. We were all the ninjas <laughs> for one another. Wow, okay. You know, but that's humility. Nobody's ego. Sometimes you see people got the biggest ego on the planet. Mm-hmm. Bro, think about this. You got Hakeem Austin. You got Mike Bernardo who created the Bo staff. Come on, man. Nobody. We were working out. We were laughing. I always tell people this. We had a thing on a set. It was called One Take. So here's how, here's how we filmed it. You would get a call. They would fly you in on Friday. You go to the hotel, check in, and then you got to meet Isaac Florentine or Pat Johnson. Can I say mm-hmm. that again? Hold on. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to say those names. Rewind. Rewind that. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> I don't think they get that. Isaac Florentine, who made Scott Atkins, did all that with Michael Jai White and everybody, mm-hmm. Power Rangers. He was one of the fight choreographers. And then hold up. Pat Johnson. Black Buck Jones, Karate mm-hmm. Kid, um, Ninja Turtles. Should I just keep going on? So we got a chance to be trained by them. And this is what they would say. All right, guys, put together your fight scene. We will put it together ourselves. We would choreograph our own fight scenes. And then they say, all right, y'all got them? All right, now, the next day we're going to shoot tomorrow. I mean, it was like you, you, you rehearse on Friday. And at 12 o'clock midnight, they came and got you to go to Universal Studios, and it was time to shoot. Now, here's the thing that many people disagree with me, but I'm going to tell you how it was on a set. You had one take. You could do more takes, but when you're amongst the world champs, you mess up and do more takes. You got to do push-ups. So it was this thing called One Take Charlie. You know, it's like, yo, he did five takes. That's 500 push-ups. Let's go, boy. Let's go. I mean, brother. It was so much fun. It was so exciting. I mean, it was just that level of competition that we took from the tournament arena that we took right there on the set. And there was no ego. Nobody, I mean, from Chris Kosomowski, the Red Dragon, Christine Bannon. Mm-hmm. I mean, man, nobody. I mean, Ho Song, Ho Young. I mean, a Tsunami, Eric Betts. Everybody was humble. Everybody, I mean, Mike Chatterunderbutt, Pete Carmichael. I mean, look at it. All these people credit the greatest things that you see in the world today. Mm-hmm. And it all started from that moment that they gave all of us a chance to come on a TV show and just have fun. I mean, there's one thing, Isaac, and I still work with Isaac Florentine. And, um, and I mean, I, I thank them so much for making my dream come true. And Colin West, if you would get caught like at the wrong part on the set, they were like, who's that stupid ninja? 
Get that supernatural, man. It was so much fun, man. I mean, I, I don't think it would be a long time for people to be amongst, we talking the greatest martial artists in one room and there's no, not one ego. Everybody's trying to, we just wanted to make something exciting for other people. The show could have went on and it was before its time. The only problem is, and I'll say, is because the real martial arts world said, hold up, that's make-believe. That's phony. That's not real martial arts. So guess what they got? They got they got UFC. Now they wish they would have looked and listened because there has never been a TV show that promoted the values and gave you a chance to truly build a martial arts business in Hollywood together. And now they suffer for it because their egos kept on. You, hey, you got haters everywhere, man. So that's what happened. But the show... It ran its time, and I think the greatest thing that we we realized today is that all of us are still friends. We were a part of something that we were blessed to be a part of, and it inspired a whole generation of people that still come up and say, man, aren't you the band? I'm like, <laughs> oh, yeah, that's it, you know? So I'm grateful for that, man. And I say to everybody, dreams do come true. I don't care how dark your moments get. I don't care how bad. I don't care how low you are. If you start believing in your dreams and you fight for it and you hold on, and you be humble, you be humble, and you work extra hard, I guarantee you they will manifest. That's some wise words there, sir. And, and I'm going to ask this fan question. I'm sure you get this one. The number one fan question was when and if we're ever going to see a WMAC Masters DVD Blu-ray box set. That was the number. That's the When I asked the question of people asking a question, that is the one that everyone texts me. They're like, you got to ask them. You got to ask them. I said, so I'm going to ask them. Do you have well, any? Well, well I, got, I got the only, because I got, I, we were, it was something about ready to happen with the show. So with my team, we took all the original episodes and made them HD. So I got the HD versions. Oh. I got the HD versions <laughs> over here. Man. I ain't got the Blu-ray, but I got the HD over oh, here. Man. But I ain't going to sell them to nobody. But yeah, I mean, I just did it for fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they were really trying to do some stuff. Who knows? One day, somebody might have something that they working on there. To see another generation of the WMAC Masters, you know? Yeah, I mean. We, I, I got a vote, though. You know who I want to play me? Who's that? My daughter. Okay. You heard me now? <laughs> <laughs> Jack, look. She acting like saying you heard what I'm saying over there. <laughs> Man, that's, 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 that's great. And um, so, being that you're very, I'm already inspired. You're very inspirational person so master bam you have uh been featured in black belt magazine recently and you are a black belt hall of famer and um you've been featured for your uh upcoming production of one out of a hundred can you tell us about uh that project and how as fans and uh martial artists we can help make this a reality okay um you know the, the concept of one out of 100, once again, is based upon my, you know, just some life, real life situations where when I was incarcerated, they get, one of the characters in the movie, his name is uh, Brother D. 
And um, he talked, he, he had told me, he said, only one of y'all can make it. You know, out of all the guys that are here, only one of y'all can make it. And the only way you can make it is that you got to change everything about you. And well over 37 years, I, I tried to wake up every day and make sure I was that one that made it. And, um, and I do everything I need to do with the principles of martial arts in my whole life to continue to push forward to try to be that person. And during the COVID situation, when we seen so much, you know, negative darkness, despair, I mean, people just suffering, you know, everything crazy happening. You know, one of the things I think that happened that we stopped paying attention to our teenagers. We weren't listening to how, the, how this thing affected our kids. I mean, think about schools were shut down. Kids were now locked at home with, with, with parents to have to teach them schooling and some parents never even finished school. I mean, it was drastic, man. I mean, kids, you know, think about the emotional devastation. This, I don't think anybody really, even to this moment, because I'm not trying to be funny. I think our society is so selfish right now that we so worried about me, 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 that some of us don't even think about the effect that it's having on the kids. And thank God, because we're teachers and we teach so many kids, we've been on the other side and have always been to be there for those kids and hear what these kids have been talking about. And we had to make adjustments. I mean, the very next day when we went on lockdown, we had to put our classes on Zoom. And I mean, for me, what, what, what happened was that here's my son, my 14-year-old son saying, Dad, why do y'all there marching when it's COVID-19? I understand the cause, but dad, is it safe? I'm like, whoa, he's right. Why are we being so irresponsible? There were so many things that was happening and he was just asking like questions. I had no answers. And then when we went to do the conversion over to the Zoom, me and my wife was worrying so much about the functioning of the business, getting money and going and everything. And my son like, hey, chill. I'm like, hold up, what you mean, chill? Who you talking to? My wife like, yeah, who you talking to, boy? You better stay. And we stopped and we looked. He had the whole thing set up on Zoom. He had it set up for us to teach classes in our house. Mm -hmm. Not miss one beat. He came up with ideas and, and situations where he was now running our whole dojo at 14 on his phone on his telephone and he was going to school on time and became an honor roll student and was now taking on the PE classes and being inspirations for other kids. Mm -hmm. Then I'm saying everyday kids, kids, three and four and teenagers on Zoom taking real classes. And anybody that knows about us, I'm not bragging, I teach hard classes. I'm a beat you. Damn, I don't care what your age, I'm going to beat you down. And when you say a class is soft, you better not say that around me because you will not be walking for weeks. And them parents and them students will tell you, our kids, we did the we were doing so many things like belt tests. We were doing parents' night out, sleepovers. I mean, not sleepovers, but, but gatherings and, and meetings all on Zoom. Like we never stopped teaching in person. All our kids was on honor roll. My little kid, seven years old, before Zoom, he couldn't even read. During Zoom, he now reading at the fourth grade level. Mm -hmm. So while everybody else was panicking and not growing, 
I was, we were listening to what our kids was doing and out of nowhere, me and Robert Parham and Isaac and uh, Art Camacho and everybody was talking and, and, and a guy by the name of Gerard Lima, Byron Menz, the writer of Black Dynamite and all this, mm -hmm. I came up with a movie concept. I said, I want the world to know what these kids was doing when you were being so selfish and not realizing that they've been in here working. They ran a whole dojo and did so many other things. And the movie is about that. What these kids were doing in real time are coming to age where this one kid, he got to deal with it raising his little brother. He got to deal with running a dojo. He got to deal with trying to get ready for a, a, a youth MMA championship match to go off to college. And he got to deal with all these other irresponsible things that's going on in the world. But then guess what? He was now set up to have to deal with a convict that been released from jail on a pre-release program to become a janitor at the dojo. Mm. Now, how can one kid deal with this? This movie shows you how the elements of yin and yang comes together. When he's now dealing with a man who was once a world champion martial artist and made a choice to take a life, but now he's given an opportunity to come back and build a life, this kid now gets a chance to see what he could become if he don't stick to the principles of martial arts. Mm. And the man get a chance to see what he could be by helping his kid never to be like him. Mm. And in the end, everybody wins. Because we see that martial arts can change the world. If it's taught in a manner to empower other people from the inside out, not for ego and not for belt. This is a coming age movie. This is all about what was doing, what was really going on during COVID. And once again, it's showing you that kids, we live in a generation where we have the most intelligent generation of kids, more intelligent than any generation before them. Only difference is, is that, yeah, they might be emotionally weak, but mm -hmm. guess what? Point MMA and things that we do allow them to build that strength up and not be emotionally weak anymore and have a good balance to deal with life on life terms. That's why this movie, I could not believe that Black Belt did what they did. Mm -hmm. I mean, the people that's coming on board and saying, man, let's do this. Are y'all crazy? Man, I, God's in charge, man, I'm just having fun. I mean, I just wanna, I don't know, bro. And I'm sorry, man, I just, I just wanna help. I just wanna help. I just don't want no kid to ever go through what I went through. Mm. No kid should have to go to jail. No kid should have to become a drug addict. No kid should not bring about self-destruction on their own life because we should be there to help them and truly care about them and not manipulate them and play on them. But we should step back and sometimes just grow with them. My kids and my students, they're not my students. They help me grow. They help me become a better person. I just want to pass that on. That's what Bruce Lee's movie did for me. That's what Black Belt Magazine did for me. Brother, I can't lie, man. All the stuff I represent is who I am. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry if I can't lie. I'm sorry if I can't fake. What you see 24-7 is what I do. I live and breathe martial arts. This is me. I'm, martial arts make me a better father, a better husband, a better community leader. I have no desire to want to be famous. I have no desire to want to be rich. I am rich. Mm -hmm. 
Look, I just showed you my kids. That's richness. Mm -hmm. I'm in a dojo. Clean it up. I'm rich. What more could I ask for, man? And I was once in a jail locked down for 23 hours and let out for one, contemplating suicide. Mm -hmm. You ain't going to tell me I ain't blessed? I'll never forget that. That's it, bro. That's what the movie's about. Right, and we keeping it real. And I and this has been one of my favorite interviews so far because you're keeping it real. We keeping it real. But I know there's a crowdfunding aspect to this film. How can we, as fans of Willie the Bam, as fans of Black Belt, as fans of the Kung Fu movies, as fans of martial arts, what can we do? Because I think we have an opportunity to truly make a difference and help in your vision and to make a difference. What can we do with this project? Tell us how we can get involved. Well, you know, if you go to thepointmma.com and you'll see a one out of 100 link. And basically what we're saying, just to get involved, if you make any donation, if you, if you do a $20 donation, that allows us to sponsor 20, I mean, 100 virtual scholarships to underprivileged kids all over the world. When we move to 100, we can move to 1,000. Before you know it, we can make it possible for every kid, regardless of what. And let's remember, underprivileged don't just mean city. Underprivileged is a state of mind. It can be a wealthy kid whose parents are working so much that they feel neglected, and they just need martial arts in a simple form that teaches life skills, not about belts, not about titles, but just something like point MMA, something that they into where they can just get in shape and, and move. So by, you know, just a $20 sponsorship for a kid's point MMA kit, you'll get one and some kid can get a virtual one. They can get a handheld video, but guess what? We done made it possible for even a kid in the hood to turn on his phone and learn martial arts in a virtual platform. So right now during COVID, when none of this, what none of these resources was available, we have made it available. Now, let me add, let me add one other thing here. Not just have we made it possible for us to sponsor scholarships for younger kids to learn how to, to do martial arts, but just like my oldest son, my daughter, and all the other kids that we got in Hollywood working, we created a coaching program for teenagers at the age of 16 and up on how they can become certified coaches in point MMA and become employable. We can show them how to get a mentor or a parent to start an LLC and guess what? They can open their own club in the community and make money legally, not illegally and be, and be put, they, they are given every component on how to run a professional dojo. I've been running a dojo since I was 10 years old. I have never worked for anyone since I've been in martial arts. Everything that I have learned on how to run a professional school from the best business minds in the world, not just am I recognized as a Black Belt Hall of Famer for teaching and competing, I'm also recognized as a successful businessman in the world of martial arts on innovating concepts on how to properly run a business as a family man and an African-American businessman, me and my wife. So guess what? We given the blueprint to any teenager 
that want to find a way. My daughter right here, man, she, she makes a living by doing what she loves doing. My oldest son, my little sons, everybody, we all can do it. We have made it possible for people to live your dream and you don't have to be in front of the camera. You ain't gotta be the star. Guess what? Sometimes the star don't make as much money as the person behind the camera. Mm -hmm. You know, so with this program, it we, we can help kids learn how to get in shape, get their minds right and come back from this COVID. We can get teenagers to become mentors and coaches to the next generation in the community. And guess what all the older people can do? Even the ones that felt like I was picking on you. You can all come together and we can mentor the teenagers to go out and be a better representation than what we were by being there to help them. You can sponsor them, you can guide them. And one day you can look at yourself in the mirror like Master Jerry said, he said, the only opinion that matters is the one you get back at yourself in that mirror. And when, when Grandmaster Jim Reed, one of the greatest of all time said, Willie Bam Johnson, you come from ghetto, you turn life around, you become better man, you hero for many people, continue to do what you're doing. I represent all those great masters that made it possible for me to be who I am. And everything that I'm doing is to carry that on like Billy Blanks and Everybody told me, man, I mean, that, that's it. And you could be a part. Just go to Point MMA. This ain't about you. This is bigger than us. We can make, if we could get martial arts in every community around the world, we can make a difference. You know martial arts can change people's lives. That's all we're trying to do. And a movie is just a, a showcase to show people because we know the power of media. We just doing the same thing. And this ain't it. This is just the beginning. That's what WMAC Masters taught me. So you want to know what it did for me? It made me say, bam, stop trying to be the star and build the stars. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're doing now. All right. So what I'm going to do is we're going to put the video, uh, the link inside the video, and then we're going to put it on the YouTube um, description so people can have one click go there. I'm going to contribute. Hope everybody out there contributes. We got to get this going because uh, those of us who love the martial arts and love kids and love everything, we this is one way and a great way to impart something positive to the next generation. And this and, is what and, we need. And one other thing I wanna add, some of the kids that are starting this all comes from the call of action competition that me and Master Demetrius created at the Urban Action. So when you think, when we created call of action, we created to find talent, real martial artists that want to build their character and are teachable to become the heroes for the next generation. So a lot of these people in this movie are actual winners of the call to action. Okay, cool. And, and in a, another part of the interview, I was going to ask you that, but you opened the door. So can you tell the viewers about the call to action and the partnership with Demetrius Angelo and the Urban Action Showcase? Well, and it's funny how all this goes together. It goes back again about when you asked me about competition. Back then, everybody prepared you to go to Hollywood. Your performance prepared you for going to Hollywood. Your uniform prepared you to go into Hollywood. Everybody showed you to have a, a headshot, have a resume, have a portfolio. That's what we did when we were competing. 
because we all knew that the greatest accomplishment was to get in a film or get in a TV show. Mm -hmm. And we were prepared for that. What I think that happened because of certain things that was going on, what I call politics. Now you got so many people that are competing or so many people that are not good representations. And don't get me wrong, what I'm saying here, I'm talking real martial artists being real heroes for the next generation. Mm -hmm. The one thing we can say about Shaw Brothers is that they were real martial artists. Mm -hmm. All right. I, even if they didn't start off being a real martial mm -hmm. artist, by the end, they were real martial artists representing a real expression of martial arts. I have nothing against someone who quit martial arts and talk bad about martial arts. I represent the true expression of what a complete martial artist is. And that's what John Clark Van Dem was. That's what Steven Seagal was. That's what Donna Dragon Wilson was. That's what Ron Van Cleef was. That's what Jim Kelly was. That's what Bruce Lee was. That's what Jet Lee was. That's mm -hmm. what Donnie Yen was. Should I go on? <laughs> <laughs> so me and Demetrius say, let's prepare them. Let's give everybody a bridge. Let's give Hollywood a bridge to connect to the next generation of top level talent. Because I'm telling you, there's a world of talented martial artists in the world of sports karate that will blow your mind. I'm talking little kids that would make Jet Lee look like he's an amateur. What we want to do, and it always been that way, how can we create that bridge again that was broken when Center Rothrock and Billy Blanks and all of those people left? Because remember, that's how they was all discovered. That's how Bruce Lee was discovered at the mm -hmm. Long Beach Internationals. Mm -hmm. That's how Jim Kelly was discovered at the Long Beach Internationals. Mm -hmm. Ron Van Cleef karate tournaments. Black Belt Magazine and Karate Illustrated was a way when you won a tournament and became a world champion, you got on the cover of a magazine. Mm -hmm. We want to bring that back. We want to celebrate. I'm not saying anybody that doesn't have the talent, don't that has talent, don't deserve the right, but I still think you gotta, you gotta earn that. You gotta go through the blood, sweat, and tears. You gotta be a real hero. You got to remember, Jackie Chan was a he's a real martial artist. Mm -hmm. That's what me and Demetrius wanted to bring with the call to action. So it gives us a chance to bring you in. And we already got this year. You're going to have Keith Steinberg. No retreat, no surrender. Mm -hmm. He already coming in. He getting ready to write a script for people to read that got to read and then act out the part. Mm -hmm. Keith Steinberg. Ain't nobody doing better than, better than him. No retreat, no surrender. We got our Camacho. Come on, man. We got Isaac Florentine on the panel. Mm. We got Robert Parham on the panel. I think I even got Jerry Trimbone from the movie Heat and some yeah. other ones. We got the, uh, uh, um, I, I got so many people, I can't even, can't <laughs> even keep remembering them, man. But we got a host of talent that's going to be there to just look at you, critique you, tell you what you need to do to improve, to be a real expression of martial arts on camera. And then guess what? You'll be on the radar for their next film, our next film. This is just the beginning. I'm having too much fun to stop now, man. <laughs> that sounds great. I'm glad you were able to, um, we were able to get to that and you could tell the audience about that because that's, I think that's where, like you said, where we're going to find the next generation of martial artists who are in the movies. 
because now fight scene is in every movie. This movie ain't got nothing to do with martial arts, and it's a martial arts based fight scene in them. But in my opinion, we know that um, people trained in martial arts tend to look better doing them than exactly. some things that are out here now. I'll just say that. Thank you, Master Johnson, for spending this afternoon with us. It's been great. Uh, any last words you want to give to our audience before we let you go and get on with your day? Uh, I, I, if I would say one thing, just remember four most important principles in life, God, family, community, and let your business or your goals or your dreams be a reflection of those three elements. You can't go wrong with that. Thanks. Words of wisdom from Master Willie the Bam Johnson. This is Gary Williams of FilmFanDojo.com. Thank you, Master Johnson, and thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you soon. Lesson, sir. <laughs>